by Josh Bolton. I'm the director of the Jewish Renaissance Project at Penn Hillel. And yeah, that's all that I would say. I'm, yeah, something like that. What would you say? I would say I'm Patricia Anton. I am a chaplain with the Muslim Life Program here at the University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> We've been sharing texts. One of the things I've really appreciated is that like, like I think last time we literally got to like five words of the text that I brought. But that didn't matter because somehow... We just have so much to discuss. There's so much to discuss, whether it's like coffee. It's mostly coffee and the spiritual implications of coffee. Which is going to have to be its own podcast, right, actually. I know, I know. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, and, and I don't know if like I want to try to accomplish something different with this conversation. Like I, like, I don't know, like, am I anticipating knowing something about Ashura? You know, and it, 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 even five words about Ashura will will help illuminate this holiday for me because I really know very little um, about it. And so I don't, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, like, how we want to do this. Like, um, I've, yeah, go ahead. I feel like I want to, um, you know, for us, you know, Ashara has connected with, the Jewish tradition as well, right, um, right? Which you know I can talk about, but I feel like I want to hear about just Yom Kippur and what it yeah. means for for you and for the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Okay. To start with. Okay. Um, I've actually been in Houston Hall all day long today because, you know, in terms of like rabbinic performances during the year, the high holidays are kind of like. The, par, the moment par excellence of the, the rabbi as performer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of writing and there's a lot of reading and there's a lot of kind of getting in tune with the holidays that have to take place to kind of both do it, right? Like I have to have something to say. I'm going to be speaking for, I'm going to be leading the community for upwards of six hours, which is actually like not a, a lot. You know, there are, there are more, you know, traditional services that will, you know, go on for hours and hours and hours. I'll probably be leading, speaking, facilitating like six or seven hours worth of stuff. So, like, it has to get written. It's a pretty intense time. It's intense time. And, like, I just, and, and, and students have been wanting to meet to, like, talk about Yom Kippur. And so I've been doing a lot of talking about it. And I was just saying to a student that I hope that as I talk about it so much that some of it kind of becomes internalized or goes on the inside. Because as a religious leader, I don't know if you feel this, sometimes there's like, there's so much in, uh, 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 intentionality around what you are going to say mm-hmm. and the, the, the message that you're going to give and the poetry of how you're going to say it. That the performing the, aspect the, that's right, of it, yeah. That sometimes it's like, I was just saying that once I get to do all that work, Hopefully, when I go to stand on, you know, the bima, the stage, and and speak, I hope that I can be an audience member to what is being said as well, and mm-hmm. that happens often. Mm-hmm. That I will hear myself speak, and I will be moved by that. Hopefully, if I've done it well, but I, I was thinking a lot about. I've been thinking a lot about young, young people necessarily, and I, and I was thinking about. And it's a lot to think about because it's like, it's a very existential holiday. It's like the existential holiday of the year. And one thing I think, one thing I often say to students is that 
like the Jewish holiday cycle kind of leads you through a process of thinking about all of kind of the most essential questions that one must attend to each year in order to kind of end up as a emotionally, psychologically, spiritually healthy person. Mm-hmm. But that it limits the time that you spend thinking about any particular one thing to the kind of contours of that holiday. Because like, while you're led to confront your own mortality, your own finitude, if that's the right word, your own death, you know, on Yom Kippur, like you don't want to be thinking about that all year long. Nobody's going to really enjoy it. No one's going to really want to hang out with you, right? Like it's mm-hmm. too too heavy. But for like this 25-hour period or really like the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there is like a very intense uh, um, invitation toward uh, introspection and not just like the introspection of like who do I need to forgive, who do I need to seek forgiveness from, but also like the existential, you know, reflections and the questions around like uh, who do I want to be? Um, what are my greatest aspirations for myself and how have I lived up to or not lived up to those uh, um, aspirations? And I was just saying this to a student. I've heard in a number of places people reference the difference between the resume that you were writing and the eulogy that will be read for you at your death mm. and how they're not the same thing. Mm. Um, and Yom Kippur is the is the like the, the primary text of Yom Kippur is not your resume mm. it's your eulogy and in that sense it is deep confrontation with what you have achieved but not achieved like on the level of the ego necessarily but but like what have you done what like, what have you done what acts of you know what 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 what, what have you done for others what have you done what distinguished you, you know, what, what will they say about you? Um, and the whole ritual and the whole, all of the, like, ritual uh, uh, um, accoutrement of the, of the day is a technology that leads you to be able to, in the best case scenario, kind of like honestly acknowledge what that eulogy would be. And to then determine whether or not that's enough or that's what you want it to be. It's a big uh, time of self-evaluation. And, it's a time of self-evaluation. Um, and, um, and the liturgy is, leads one through a process of self-evaluation, self-reflection, contemplation. It is not really a holiday of the Jewish people so much as it is a holiday of the individual Mm. and in some way of the entire human project. Meaning it's not confined by like your nation. It's really present in the existential reality of of the person, but also because the person is kind of like a microcosm of the whole thing, mm-hmm. it's like, what are we doing here on this earth? So um, it kind of between those poles of the incredibly private and the incredibly cosmic uh, is, is the day. Um, 
and then the 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 other piece to it without getting into like the the technicalities of the ritual is that it comes at the end of really it's the, it's the book end of of 10 days it's mm. the book end of a 10 day uh, process that's called yamim noraim the the days of of awe the days of wonder the days of repentance the days of reflection contemplation that begins with rosh hashanah the new year mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. first of the of the moon mm-hmm. and ends on the 10th uh, day of the moon and it's this period in which like we traditionally it's a kind of weird word to use but jews seek forgiveness we grant forgiveness we do the reflective work we try to attend to the interpersonal and then once we've attended to the interpersonal we give ourselves permission to kind of attend to the inter it, we give ourselves permission to attend to the things that are between me and god mm-hmm. um etc so did you know all that no i don't i don't know that i i knew all of that um you know, and I, I think the, the curiosity kind of comes because, you know, for us, this is, we're in the month of Muharram, and uh, what's really cool right now is that our calendars are synced. So last year, this year, and next year, um, we're doing New Year at the same time, and these 10 days are sacred for both of our traditions. And the 10th day is uh, a day of fasting in both of our traditions. Um, so that's part of the reason I was, I was really excited to, to kind of have that conversation about, about um, this day. Because, I mean, for the Jewish community, your calendar will adjust to keep you, keep the months in the seasons. Where yeah. ours will sort of switch around the whole yeah. calendar. It's really interesting. I, I think that you and I have spoken about this. But, like, for me, that, that, that Jewish adjustment is about Jews living in between peoples. Mm. And so... Our ang- I, I, I'm not a historian, but my reading of this is that Jews have anxieties about our, our, our um, relationship to the, uh, let's say, host cultures. And so we are, mm-hmm. while we are a moon people, we don't want to be too out of whack with the, with the solar uh, uh, culture that we're around. So we take uh, uh, the means necessary to, on occasion, every few years, correct our calendar so we're not so far out of sync with those around us. The Muslims have, in my reading, have a large enough uh, 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 civilizational cred that they mm-hmm. don't have to worry about uh, uh, um, whether or not they're in line, out of line, in sync, out of sync with the, with, the, with the sun people. That's my reading. I have no idea if that's true at all. It's a good question. I know other people have mentioned that, and I don't know because of the change that you do in the calendar, that, that some of your holidays tend to have sort of agricultural cycle Absolutely. meanings that, that kind of come into them as well. Absolutely. Our, well, our calendar, while it's dynamic, so it is more fixed. So we can talk mm-hmm. about um, uh, uh, Sukkot, the holiday that will come a few days after Yom Kippur, as a, as a holiday of harvest, because it has always been a holiday of harvest. It doesn't move. So, right. Whereas in Ramadan, it keeps going backwards, correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so just kind of going back to like, I mean, you know, what we know about these days, you know, in our tradition, um, we have four sacred months, right? And 
you know, this is one of them and it's the first of the month and it's the last of three consecutive sacred months, right? So last month was Dhul-Hijjah, which was the month of Hajj. Mm. Um, and then we, we now just had the new year, um, which is, puts us in Muharram, right? So Muharram is, means sort of protected. So it's considered the, the sacred month of God, right? Um, and so these were always times that were sacred and there was no fighting in them. Um, and the other one is Rajab, which is kind of off on its own. Um, and then there we have also like three sets of 10 days throughout the year that are considered that, you know, are considered times to really strive. Mm. And those are like the last 10 days of Ramadan, which people are very aware of. So, you know, we're going to be fasting all Ramadan and, and what have you. And then it's like the sprint at the end, you know, you just like, <laughs> you know, you're running, you're doing it, the endurance test, all right, this is the last part, give it all you got. Um, and that's sort of how Muslims tend to approach the, the last 10 days of Ramadan. Um, but then the first 10 days of the Hijjah, okay, are also a really sacred time and a time of striving and, you know, trying to maximize the most of those days. The ninth day of that is the day of Arafat. Okay, um, which is the, the culmination of the Hajj. And for those that aren't going to um, Hajj, you know, they tend to fast. It's one of those really good days to fast. And it's a day that if you fast, like all your sins are forgiven for the previous year and for the year ahead, particularly like kind of minor sins, right? Um, so that's kind of like a day of atonement for us you know, connected around that. And then the, the 10th day is the actual Eid, which is the holiday that is celebrated after the Hajj, right? And so when we talk, like Muslims, we only talk about like two Eids, right? Um, and I, so I feel like sometimes we talk about like in the Jewish tradition, you have a lot of holidays. And we sort of say that, okay, there's two Eids, the end of Ramadan and the end of Hajj. Um, but there are other times that are sacred. Um, and then the third set of 10 days then is, is Muharram. And um, now the 10th day of Muharram uh, was something that, you know, it's reported that the, um, that the Arabs um, in the pre-Islamic period in Mecca actually fasted on the 10th of Muharram, probably going back to the tradition of Abraham and had sort of continued that. And so the Prophet, peace be upon him, would fast on the 10th and the Muslims would fast on the 10th, and he ordered them to fast on the 10th in the, in the period of Mecca. And then shortly after they made Hidra, you know, the migration to Medina, where they went from this like super being persecuted, can't really publicly practice their religion, um, to where they could kind of organize their society and have the freedom to, to really practice. Um, that's when they got the revelation for fasting the month of Ramadan. It actually came not that long, you know, after having gone to, to Medina. And so that became the obligatory fast at that time, which was like the, the whole month, right? Um, and that meant that like the Muharram, 10th of Muharram was no longer an obligation. Um, but what they found, what the Prophet, peace be upon him, found when he got there, because, you know, Medina was a society that had a strong Jewish presence, right? There, was, there were several tribes of Jews that were living there in Medina. And, you know, he, he found that the Jews there were fasting on the 10th of Muharram. And he was like, well, tell me more about that, you know? Um, and, and uh, you know, they basically said, well, you know, we, we fast this day out of gratitude because this is the day on which 
Moses was free, Moses and his people were freed from Pharaoh. Okay, so this is the day that, um, like, the, that the Nile actually split, and then they were able to get to the other side, and the waters closed back on Pharaoh. So that that happened, you know, on on Ashura, and so just out of gratitude, it was like this this thing of, of fasting, and and the Prophet peace be upon him was, you know. We, we look at the prophets as all being like a brotherhood mm-hmm. and they're like super close, you know, and the prophet Muhammad and like Moses are considered like they have a lot in common. Right. And mm-hmm. so they're, they're very close to one another, um, are said to have resembled each other in different ways. They're both lawgivers, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there's there's this strong feeling of resonance. And plus, I mean, uh, Moses is actually the prophet that's mentioned the most in Quran, right? Mm-hmm. So his name is mentioned the most and his, his story is sort of, mm-hmm. you know, narrated throughout. Um, so he was like, you know, we, we have we have more right to this Moses, you know, than, than you do, so we're gonna fast this day. And so the Prophet started fasting on the 10th, right? And he did this and it was, so it wasn't an obligation, but it was something that he encouraged. Um, and then like in the last year of his life, he, he said, you know, if next year comes, I will not just fast the 10th, but I'll fast, fast the 9th and the 10th. So people tend to, not they tend to want to fast the 10th, um, and sometimes either the 9th and the 10th or the 10th and the 11th. Mm-hmm. And if they have extra energy, the full 10 days, the full first 10 days are really, you know, a, a great time to fast. And it's considered to be like the best days of fasting, like outside of Ramadan. So this is like the, mm. the best month for fasting. So. This is making me think a lot about, um, when you talk about being on campus, working with students, it's interesting to work as a, a rabbi here at Penn with Jews at Penn, with particular community of Jews, where you know, Jews are, as a, as a culture, as a civilization, you know, Jews are, are often very connected to the, to the element of belonging to the Jewish people, mm. but are in many ways often, they feel like they have a hard time connecting to the believing, mm. uh, the mythic, uh, uh, even the spiritual components of the tradition. And um, one thing I've been thinking a lot about this Yom Kippur is, as I've learned that, like, you know, it's interesting, like, for Jews on campus who might eat cheeseburgers every single day of the year, I'm actually surprised, like, how many of them fast on Yom Kippur. Mm. Or, uh, and, and, and I've been really interested in, like, what, is the, what are the characteristics, what, are the, what is the experience, what are the possibilities of the, let's say, spiritual technology of the day um, without the, I don't know, mythic components or without the, the, without the presence of God. Uh, you know, the, the central myth of, one of the central myths of the day is and of the, the this period this period you know of the season is the book of life mm-hmm. and 
in the in the the language of the liturgy and the myth that we have inherited, on Rosh Hashanah, God opens the Book of Life, and during the ten days, there's a process of basically of 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 writing that takes place, in which the fates of every individual are composed, are written into being. Mm-hmm. And on Yom Kippur, that book is sealed. And so... We have a different date for that. Okay, all right, okay. But say, <laughs> it's say, about two weeks before Ramadan starts. Okay, interesting. But in other words, like, <laughs> by, by the way, just like parenthetically, like, of course, um, I'm so interested in, in the idea that our being, that, that, mm-hmm. that, that our being is written into being. Mm. Um, we're such a we're peoples of the book of yeah. the books yeah. but you know on a deeper level we imagine our own existential being as coming about through the book we are, our, our fate is, is written our, our, our experience is, is communicated through uh, the written book our becoming takes place in a book um, and what's interesting, I don't know if that's the right word to me, is that I think that the power of that myth, um, breaks out beyond the boundaries of, uh, the mystical. It breaks out beyond the boundaries of, mm. of its origin, meaning, uh, that's how it really feels. That's how life really feels. If you look from year to year at what has happened to you, mm. it's as if, it might as well be, that it was written in a book beyond your grasp. Your own conception, right? Right. It, it, was, it might as well have been written in a book. Mm-hmm. And the kind of, the fear, the awe, the the uh, uh, starkness of the mm-hmm. day in which the book is being sealed, mm. that feeling is accessible to many people and even those for whom the idea of the author mm. is not accessible, but the, but the act of writing is accessible, the experience of your fate being written in mm. a book. And so I think that like the myth... Uh, uh, the myth persists and the power of the day persists even in a post-secular, uh, uh, post-modern, or for the Jewish community, uh, uh, I think the Jews are primarily modern people. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Post-God in some ways. Mm. Um, the power of the day is retained um, because the myth of the day is so tangible and so mm-hmm. real, but not real in the sense of did it happen or not? Is it happening or not? Is it true or not? No, just on a certain level you feel that, it, that, that, that it's, it might as well be true. It might as well be true. So I don't know if that is the origin of why so many fast, mm-hmm. but... It's not, it's not hard to, you know, one day a year to confront the most existential questions, you know, like, 
it's not so hard to to be moved by it all and mm. to to not eat because it's like who can eat mm. who, who would eat on this day mm. um it's kind of like that that preparation for I mean like from a religious sense that that preparation for for both facing your own death or facing your own judgment right and and the anxiety that that that, that holds absolutely you know for an, for an infinite future right right, right. I, I guess the other pieces that like fasting and this is like a tangential conversation for you know another point because fa- fasting is actually so core to the Muslim, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we fast a handful of times during the year, but we're really like a one, we're like a one big fast, one day, one big day fast is all. You do like 25 hour. 25 day. hour, yeah. we, you know, it's all tucked, it's all, you know, jammed in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but fasting has like a, you know, psychosomatic effect. Mm that you know it doesn't make a difference if you're a god person or not it doesn't make a difference yeah. if you describe yourself as spiritual or not it doesn't make a difference if you if if you whatever you're bringing to the day you know by the time you get into the 20th hour of not eating like and if you're not like racked by like um caffeine withdrawal um or even if you are or even if you are mm-hmm. or even if you are maybe especially if you are like there are certain possibilities that take place in that in that space, and you mm-hmm. know honestly, like I, I am not a, I don't look forward to to Yom Kippur, mm. but I know that around three p.m. You know, into the fast, finally, finally, the body kind of acknowledges, okay, this is happening, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give you some space. And I, and I, I kind of like, I kind of like work for the first 20 hours in order to achieve those last four or five hours and the possibilities of those four, the last mm. four or five hours. And I've always found that usually in the last like 20 minutes, you realize that you could keep going <laughs> or you have this sense, this, the sense of inspiration, there's a certain level of victory. This, and, 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 mm-hmm. and the end of Yom Kippur is uh, 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 celebratory because it, is, it marks the forgiveness. It marks yeah. the resolution. Mm-hmm. It marks the sealing of the book. Mm. It's, it's a type of, you know, when fate is sealed, um, there's a type of laughter that's possible. Mm. There's a certain type of celebration mm. that is very human, existential, um, again, transcends the boundaries of, of nationality, of even religious identity. Mm. It's, it's a type of relinquishment, a type of forgiveness, a type of submission. And, yeah. um, and that, that meal after Yom Kippur, um, that breaking of the fast, mm-hmm. uh, is meant to be a moment of, of real uh, joy. Of joy. And yeah, I was I was thinking about it kind of as we were coming here, and, and and maybe some of the other conversations that I've had, like leading leading up to our conversation, um, you know, this idea of okay, fasting as as both a means of seeking forgiveness and atonement, um, which we have in our tradition, right? So it, it's you know, if people 
commit sins or they or they were to break vows you know one of the ways of sort of expiation is is fasting right and and we mentioned actually you know fasting on the 10th is, is a way of having you know minor sins forgiven for the year to come fasting on Arafat you know forgiving of the sins for the previous year and the next year um, so there's this idea of forgiveness but then there's also this idea now we talk about gratitude right so you know and, and just worshiping God, you know, as fasting is something that, that God knows about and other people don't. But then, like, kind of getting into that space that, like, when you're fasting, your blood's not flowing the same. And so then your your heart kind of becomes present in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so, you know, we talk a lot about it as just sort of that part of that purification, right? And that, that spiritual development of, of, okay, through fasting, you're breaking the chains of your attachment to things and the chains of your attachment to things that can be used to pull you into sort of wrongdoing or, or what have you, right? Um, yeah, I think that the, the corollary of that is um, for us is, uh, you know, on, on the night of uh, Yom Kippur, we, we, we make a declaration called uh, uh, Kol Nidre, and it's like a, it's kind of like a legal statement actually that all the, the vows that I'm going to make during the coming year, I'm going to declare them null and void here at the start of the year. And one of kind of the ways that I access that, the meaning of that um, statement is, um, is that Yom Kippur has the capacity to, Yom Kippur gives us the capacity, or, or it enables us to um, un- to relinquish, to unchain ourselves from mm. these things that, from all of our, from all of the eating, from all of the wanting, from all of the mm-hmm. the, the, the the tension of 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 desiring, for all of the chasing, for all of the the the, the pursuit, you 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 allow yourself to unwind those things, to unravel those things. Um, I don't know if, if it, I'm not sure what the punchline is. Once you unravel all of these things, you find some pure self to to uh, to see in the bottom, or or uh, uh, if you keep unraveling, there's never a pure self. It's just the the work of unraveling is 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 uh, is uh, um, is the human work. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I think when we talk about it, we talk about like okay, there's those levels of kind of cleaning up the grime right and then once you've gone through that sort of cleaning up the grime thing then you've got the polishing stage mm-hmm. that we where you can start to shine you mm-hmm. know and so that there's never actually a, a limit to sort of the kind of elevation mm-hmm. and and kind of continuation so you know it, it's it's a means yes it's a means of expiation but it's also a means of drawing nearer to god mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and that that's something that is always you know it's it's a journey kind of without end mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in that sense mm-hmm. uh nearness to god you know uh the, the the other half of the night eating is you know in yom kippur we are like the dead who don't eat but but we're also like the angels who don't eat and mm. one of the possibilities of yom kippur and especially for me in those last hours is that sense of communion of mm. dvekut of of being with uh, God, of being close to God, 
of, of being close because I am finally honest with who I am in front of God and honest mm-hmm. with who I am to myself. Uh, and that enables a certain level of, um, of presence um, because I'm hiding nothing. And um, like the angels, nothing to hide. What do you wish someone on the eve of Ashura? Um, I don't, we don't really, I mean, because it's not that much of a holiday for uh-huh. us, so we don't particularly, you know, like we might just say on the eve of it, no, we don't have anything. We're just, mm-hmm. you know, the normal, Samarekum, peace be with you, and, you know, these are, these are days that are Mubarak. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me as a chaplain, I, I try to remind people like, okay, we are in a sacred time, uh-huh. take advantage of it. So not just the fast, whatever you can fast in these days, um, you know, get some charity to give. This is a mm-hmm. time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, reconnect mm-hmm. with family um, is also really good to like take advantage of these mm-hmm. times that we have mm-hmm. them. So. Very good. Well, I wish you and all what do you have for we, greetings? We wish, we wish people Gemach Hatimatova. May you be sealed for mm, good. Beautiful. In the book beautiful. of life. So may we all and be. And may you be. Thank you. May we all be. Thank you. Okay. <laughs>